here we are uh, with Julia Anderson. Um, it's such a pleasure to have you here, Julia, today on the Beyond Listening podcast. And our relationship, the We Are Open Circle relationship with Julia, um, started quite a while ago now. Um, it started through an introduction through one of our um, employees, Kai Harper, um, and his great respect of your integrity and the work and effect of that work that had on him personally, um, particularly in the area of, um, of anti-racism, anti-oppression type area. And um, so from that, we've been introduced to you and had the pleasure of continuing to get to know you um, and continuing to explore with you. And um, Adam and I are really excited to uh, learn even more about your story here today. So welcome to the Beyond Listening um, podcast as we explore, well, how would you say it? What is the topic we're exploring today? How would you name it, Julia? I would, I think we want to talk about power, um, but more specifically identity and our, our relationships to power. Um, does that sound correct? <laughs> Sounds good to me. <laughs> so power, identity, um, and I would add in their race, particularly um, mm -hmm. as it relates to, to race. So we, we always start our podcasts with a question and actually that question came out of a poem. So I thought it'd be great to ask Adam to read that poem to us today. We often will read this poem before we go on air with, um, with the person we are interviewing that day and it just sets the tone. So yeah, I wanted to invite Adam to read that poem today so you could all be a part of it. So the poem's called The Way It Is by William Stafford. There's a thread you follow. It goes among things that change, but it doesn't change. People wonder about what you are pursuing. You have to explain this thread, but it is hard for others to see. While you hold it, you can't get lost. Tragedies happen, people get hurt or die, and you suffer and get old. Nothing you do can stop times unfolding. You don't ever let go of the thread. So Julia, as you uh, have this awareness of your thread in your life, we want to track back to where it all began um, and how this, this um, passion and interest in identity and power, uh, really how it was informed by your childhood. Um, so just any kind of stories um, about that. Yeah, thank you so much, um, first of all, for having me. And... Um, yeah, so when I think about who and who I am and what I am and who I want to be, what is very salient to me is where I come from. Um, so I am I'm a biracial woman of color, I identify as mixed race or black. Um, and I grew up in a very small rural town in Southern California roughly 3,000 people where my family was one of a handful of Black families. So difference and how different my family was 
was always very apparent um, and salient to me, uh, particularly at an early age. Um, and what else was very salient to me was economic differences or socioeconomic differences. Uh, this was an area where there were uh, a lot of experiences with poverty, um, pretty high concentration of poverty, and that really showed up in the school space. So when I think about my passion about equity um, and uh, transforming justice or, or transforming systems, it really has to do with the systems that I became very aware of early on in life uh, related to race and, and socioeconomic status and the, the choices that those systems create for people or the choices that they take from people. And so um, I was one of roughly eight to 10 people who went to college from my graduating class. And I was tracked in gifted and talented programs. And there were so many folks in my classes that were gifted, had promise, um, but were not receiving attention uh, or support or resources. And many of those folks never went to school. And I don't think that going to college is like the litmus test for, for success or anything, but it, it does have a pretty significant effect on people's material well-being down the line. Um, and so going to college for me was very much about, it was just as much about creating opportunities and choices for myself, as well as making sense of the conditions that I came from. And so, um, something that really <laughs> struck me or, or dawned on me recently is that um, a lot of what drives me or, or the thread that I follow is uh, giving people choice, choices, uh, creating opportunities for people to make choices about the conditions for their, their life, for their, for their livelihood. Um, and it wasn't until college that I was able to gain access to language to really make sense of the fact that um, folks' lived circumstances were not their choice, were not a result of their choice, but really systems that they were experiencing and interacting with that limited the choices that they could make. C. Wright Mills says that freedom is not merely the opportunity to do as one pleases. Neither is it merely the opportunity to choose between set alternatives. Freedom is, first of all, the chance to formulate the available choices, to argue over them, and then the opportunity to choose. Um, I interfaced with that quote my second year of college in my intro to sociology class, and it completely changed my life because it opened up so many, um, it answered a lot of questions that I didn't know that I had. Um, about about not only what what freedom is and what power is and, and you know power being uh, the opportunity or the ability to create choices and, and drive outcomes for others but when it comes to my racialized experiences as a a person of color um, it really helped me situate myself in a, a historical context um, and 
I really do think that it's, it's the foundation of why I'm, I'm passionate about the things that I am um, and really boiling down to equity is not just about the, the process or the, the outcome of, of, you know, creating better outcomes, but also giving folks better access to different choices that they can make for themselves. I'm really curious, you described yourself as biracial and I'm really curious um, and again, revealing as much or as little as, as, as you would like about your parents and your family and, and what that situation, how they taught you about that and what, what, what was the discussions and relationships to biracial and to all of this in, in your family? Yeah. Um, there is a lot, there's a lot to unpack there. Uh, first, my parents, my mom is white, my dad's black. Uh, they both are from San Diego and, and that's where they met. Um, San Diego is and was at the time pretty diverse, but that isn't to say that racism was not prevalent or isn't currently prevalent. Um, but so even despite my, my parents growing up in a seemingly uh, cross-cultural context, their relationship was still very much taboo. And they, uh, my mom gave birth to my brother when she was 20 in 1980. And so at that time, that was an extremely challenging time for interracial relationships, particularly between black and white people. Um, and so, you know, I didn't know I was biracial until I went to school one day and students, this is preschool, uh, kids were talking about their race. I have no idea why, but it came up that some of these girls were white, which meant nothing to me because that was not language that we used in my house. And because she was white, I just figured I was white and everyone was saying they were white. So I went home and I told my mom about this exchange I had with this girl. And I was like, well, she said she's white. And so I must be white. And my mom laughed in my face. Um, <laughs> and she said, you're not white, you're black and white. And I looked at her perplexed and I said, I'm not a skunk because I didn't understand what that even meant that this uh, race, uh, language around race that just wasn't something that was I, I wasn't socialized to that yet um i was very much aware that me and my siblings all looked different we are different shades of brown i was very aware that my dad had darker skin than me but they had never ascribed racial categories onto it and so that was like really the first time that um maybe my bubble was burst <laughs> And my first entree into like, oh, folks are hierarchically categorized um, and you are a combination of both and you're neither simultaneously and kind of good luck making sense of that over the, <laughs> the next 20 years of your life. Um, so so that, that was my first uh, uh, realization really that not only that I had a race, but that mine was different and that mine, the difference of my race in, in that context was going to be a topic of conversation that I was going to have to uh, engage in again. Um, and it honestly, you know, it wasn't very long after that fact that 
you know, that was preschool. By the time I was in second grade, that was the first time I got called the N-word by a student at school. And so for me, being biracial was a, set, a source of pride in my family because the conditions around my parents' relationship, being biracial was love, but also so was being Black. Being proud of my Blackness was extremely important. Um, and so being mixed in a space where Black people were underrepresented allowed me to maneuver through spaces by virtue of the way I, I appear. I have, I have light skin. Um, my interactions with white people are very much coded by my light skin and very always reminded that I'm very decidedly not white. Um, so <laughs> access to, to space to an extent, only to the extent that I, I, I made people feel comfortable um, a, around my blackness. Um, and so when I, when I was in second grade, I ended up telling, disclosing to somebody that I was black and this kid who I told it to the next day came to school and called me the N-word. And I think I, fi I figured now that he probably told a parent and his parents said that and he came back to school. But that was really, that really solidified for me that uh, blackness was not a valuable thing. Um, and it was honestly the first of the first of many uh, that I would ultimately encounter um, throughout school, throughout primary and secondary school. Um, the first conflict, racialized conflict that I would inevitably experience, just by virtue of being um, a visible and like uh, quantifiable minority in in this space. So to answer your question, biraciality for me has always been just an acknowledgement of the facts, the fact that I grew up with parents who were came from different races, but it's never been dis distant from or differentiated from my blackness or, or being a black person. Um, but I, I, I do appreciate that, at least for my parents, they were as intentional as they could be in, in having those conversations with me and making sense of them. But of course, um, by virtue of me being mixed race, there were a lot of there are a lot of experiences that they couldn't relate to uh, as I grew up um, in that space. But so you have this personal experience of your racial identity being associated with value and. Um equity very early on it's funny you know I'm tracking as well um this relationship between freedom and choice mm. um econ economics <laughs> economic structures and race and so I'm interested that kind of um you know because I was going back I wanted to go back to that moment at college um, with that quote that you read about freedom and and like you you said you know that that was a that was a kind of a moment of you know, like a revelatory moment for you. And I'm really interested in what that revelatory moment is and was and, and you know, how it relates, you know, and, yeah, how it relates to your journey. Yeah. At that time, I had just decided, you know, I was an undergraduate at UC Santa Barbara. I had decided to switch my major from psychology to sociology. And I was taking a ton of feminist 
studies class. Um, so I had just taken a feminist studies class about women of color. Um, I don't really remember the specific ones I was taking that at that time, but there was this thread that was being woven between my curricular explorations and how I was making sense of like my own lived experience, the experiences of my peers, and how I was situating myself in the world. A, a product of multiple systems and trying to make sense of how to work, navigate them or traverse them. And also at that time, I was, you know, developed like in my own personal development, I was exploring ways of like hosting dialogues and engaging in community and advocacy on campus around issues related to social justice. So I was a multicultural awareness chair for my residence hall at that time. And so I'd often take my learnings from my studies and try to weave them into dialogues that I'd facilitate with with peers, so other folks that were um, undergraduate. Um, and I think that the aha, it's not so much a, an aha, but it was like, it was revelatory and healing for me because it gave me the space and the language to articulate that which I didn't know were, it's like, it's like healing from being gaslit for like the last 18 years about whether or not what, what I was experiencing was indeed racism, was indeed sexism, or that which I'm witnessing at a university where people, didn't occur to me that people had families that were educated across multiple generations or that their families could pay for tuition. That was not something I was even aware of, which sounds very silly, but coming out of you know, being one of very few people who attended a four-year institution immediately after attending my high school, that was the context I was coming out of. Like, no one was going to school. So my persistence and, like, the gravitation towards those spaces, uh, the way that I sort of just attached myself to literature was not just for the edification of being, like, an educated person or just about receiving my degree, but it was who, who am I and what does it mean for me to now look at the world in a different way? Because everything that I had been taught for the last 18, 19 years was not complete. It was incomplete. My understanding of my experience was incomplete and I just poured over my studies, poured over the pages of scholars like Patricia Hill Collins and Audre Lorde, um, Bell Hooks, B. Wright Mills, uh, because they were writing my life into academia. They were writing my peers' lives into academia and they were creating a space where that, where their lives were valid, where they were important um, and that they deserved to be understood and that I didn't have to accept the world that I was given um, and schooling and education, not even just, not formal schooling, but like the act of education that like was extremely liberatory for me in order to achieve that. So like, that's my long way of explaining that a lot of it is so closely tied to my relationship to education as a transformative practice for folks and as a gateway or a pathway to creating choices and freedom. 
um, for not only myself, but what I truly believe um, is its tool and, and power for others too. Now I have something there for sure. Um, you used the phrase sense-making uh, a few times, and um, I wonder if you could explain what it means to you and what it's meant for you as a process. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, so since I'm using it probably a lot because I use it in my own facilitation and it just comes up all the time. And when I'm synthesizing ideas for groups, I'm trying to build consensus with the word sense making is always being used, especially in like human centered design systems change, design thinking. So I'm probably overusing it. But for me, <laughs> uh, I guess what it means to me as I relate it to my personal experience, it is very much about understanding, understanding conditions or experiences I've already had with a different lens or relating it to myself in a different way, in a, in a, in a generative way rather than a passive way. Is it, is it a form of empowerment, like taking control of, of the, or be, giving, being given choice almost, again, to use your word, about how you understand the world, or I don't want to yeah. put words in your mouth, so that's a, an honest, a genuine question. Um, how does it feel, like how does that word feel for you, or how do you even, or that phrase, how do you experience that word um, even? even if it's even if the definition yeah you know, changes over time it's a i guess it's about developing my own interpretation of it of a thing and using that interpretation to guide my decisions and educate what i heard you say is like education as a form of activism and i i, I want i'm saying that because I, I i love to hear more about that as well in this context is what, what does that mean you said your relationship in that forming moment, you, you saw a relationship to education and its role. Um, mm -hmm. and it feels like this is part of it. So what does that mean? Like, you, you know, how? Yeah. I, I definitely don't identify, I don't, I don't even know what my relationship to activism is. I, I respect it. And I also perceive of activists being community organizers, visible, um, and that's like a super narrow view and it's not helpful. I'm just being honest about my own discomfort with, with potentially ascribing that to myself. Um, but when you look at, you know, at the, the base level, like when a government wants to control a people, they target textbooks or what folks have access to like not letting slaves read because they knew if slaves could read, they would start rebelling. And, and so <laughs> not to like lean too much on that, that reference, but like there's clearly power associated with knowledge. Knowledge is power. No, like not trying to be corny, but uh, if that were not the case, then there wouldn't be so much control and anxiety around the kind of knowledge, the forms of knowledge that people have access to. 
um, either through schooling or the internet, uh, the types of perspectives people have ac uh, access to. And, you know, thinking about C. Wright Mills and the, the point about creating your own alternatives and creating your own choices, um, formulating the alternatives, having agency over it. I think so much of that requires understanding and a willingness to be open to multiple perspectives and to understand that there is no unitary experience of the world. Um, and traditionally, education has been the space where that, that exchange is allowed. Are there limitations? Is education designed around whiteness? Are there, is there a lot of work to do? Absolutely, 100%. But I think for me personally, when, for me, I'm trying to be deliberate about what awareness challenges me to do because it challenges me to think about, well, then who am I accountable to other than just myself? If, if How do I <laughs> not passively engage with this? Um, what do I do with it now that I have yeah. it? Um, yeah, it, it sounded to me as well that it was kind of, and, and I, I, you know, I own that I, this might be my own interpretation, but when you said it and as you talk about it, it sounds to me like it may have also been a, a kind of a semi-birth birth for you of your actually of your thread into the world mm -hmm. like yeah and, and so I'm interested in that and it's kind of like the birthing place of oh this is my work you know here's mm -hmm. all the influences that came in my childhood I'm sense making and oh here's the passage into ah oh, this is the world where, that I'm that I'm that, that I'm called to be in um and I don't again I don't know if that's true but I'm interested if that in that link to the work that you're doing now and the work you feel that's ahead of you it definitely resonates with me in that I don't see anything I'm doing, anything that I believe as divorced from or independent of the people I've interacted with, the people that have been in my life, the communities I've been nurtured by, the experiences that I've had. I think it's really arrogant. It'd be extremely arrogant to think that I'm, none of us busted out the womb, you know, woke. Uh, we are a confluence of the experiences that we have. And so to your point, it, it was more about opening up how, for me, opening up or widening my, my scope of view to not only that which makes me, but my contribution to that, that learning for others too learning through relationships, learning through interaction. I'm not separate from the system. I'm a, a part of it. I'm a result of it. And as a part of that, as a component part of that system, I can have agency and choices about how to interact with it. Just what I was hearing was in what you were saying was a commitment to equity and justice. I heard that Mm -hmm. that you talk about your commitment to equity and justice, which uh, in the way I heard it feels like it underlines what your work is in the world and what your offering is. And, and then there were these questions that I heard, which was where do I put my energy or where do we put our energy in this commitment to equity and justice? And also what sort of energy? So mm. we were talking about punishment or commitment or any of those things. So I kind of want to bridge into your work now 
and um, and for you to talk about that commitment to equity and justice and where you are putting your energy now in your work, um, both where, where what you're doing but also where your inquiries are. Yeah. First and foremost, I'm putting more energy into my personal and spiritual development <laughs> and building my own muscles to do this work differently, if not more effectively. And by this work, I mean engage in efforts that advance equity, be it economic justice or education equity or racial equity and racial justice um, in the spaces that I occupy professionally and in the spaces that I occupy personally. So what has been really important for me this last year in particular is really going more deeper into the self and exploring not only my thread and, and how that maps out into my ambitions or, or what I perceive to be my life's work, which I don't really know what that is yet, but, um, and also healing pieces of myself that have been harmed or forgotten along the way in this process. But even so, I've only been in spaces where I've been tackling gender and, and racial issues in particular in organizations head on. Um, so every job experience I've had, I've been drawn to because it gave me the space to unpack that. Um, or the conditions of the environment were such that I had to deal with it, <laughs> even if I didn't ask for it, even if it wasn't in my job description. <laughs> so there's a problem here. And I guess I'm gonna help resolve it by virtue of the fact that I'm the only person of color here or, or and because um, I need this to change wherever I go so that I stay. So it's not just about um, wanting to, certainly not anything to do with like saving a space, but it's like, creating the spaces where people will stay or making a space more accessible. And as much work as I'm putting into it, it also affects me. Um, or as much work as I'm putting into it for it to affect either students, creating more access for students or creating a culture or pushing back on a culture that is hostile to people of color. Still in my mind is that I'm doing this also because maybe <laughs> the long-term investment is that I'll stay because it'll be better rather than being burnt out and moving on to the next toxic <laughs> environment. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Uh, you know, and it, and it, you know it's, it's also that funny thing about the thread I've experienced at least that, you know, whatever you do to maybe, you know, like, okay, enough of this, this thing that keeps appearing, it kind of pops up and then there it is again, calling yeah. me. <laughs> Great. Um, I'm tired now. Thank you very much. <laughs> but I did pick up um, something quite strong and I think it was also why we have, can, you know, why we're actually sitting here and engaged in this is this deep commitment to engagement um, in the questions um, and a deep, mm. in, deep commitment to that. Like you're not, 
the way that you talk, it's not like I have, I've found the answer. <laughs> Here we go. And I teach it. It actually, the way that you come at the situations in yourself and around you is, is this kind of, well, I'm not going to simplify this question. And the way that you've approached the question, so let's not simplify, let's explore this, let's open this up, what's the frame and kind of pulling it apart. And, um, you know, I think we perceive that as also your approach to the work, to all the work that you do when you, when you approach, you know, groups of people or individuals, um, that you bring that and, and bring this lens of, you know, the thing that you can't, that, that, that you can't escape, like these, these lens of racism or sexism or these, these things that have impacted you, um, to it. So, yeah, is it? Is there something in that reflection that I've given um, that that can lead to you talking about your approach when you have encountered these situations? Um, you know that you're. What, how do you approach it? How how do they come up, and then how do you approach it? I mean, maybe a story about that. That's a really interesting question because my my answer is that I'm I'm still trying to figure that out. Uh, so in, in terms of like, if I, you know, if I can intellectualize the experience, um, I think my approach or like I defer to using questions or using inquiry to guide understanding and to get to the root cause of, of the problem. Um, and when it happens to me, <laughs> uh, that's a that's a very different um, situation. I, I've found myself completely disarmed by either micro racial microaggressions or very uh, overt examples of racism in the workplace. Um, so, part of my answer about like focusing on myself is has been about like nurturing those tender pieces of me and building the muscle to still use my voice um, and the use of power that I do have in those spaces um, and to use it not responsibly because that sounds like I have a, a sense of control over the situation that I don't always have, but I guess deliberately or intentionally um, to recognize that in some of those moments, either through my position, either because of the dynamics, I may have power to use my voice in a way that a colleague might not. And so I've been really sitting with that more recently after you know being in organizations where I've seen people leave, particularly um, people of color, black women leaving. And as someone who stays, what does that mean for me? Like, or not so much like, what does it mean for my outcomes, but uh, how am I going to use my voice? What questions am I willing to ask? And what dynamics am I willing to name in order to make sure that folks don't accept that as the norm? Um, don't accept what, you know, the departure of people of color from the workplace as an inevitable outcome rather than as uh, it being a problem that needs to be resolved. 
we're coming we I feel like we could talk for another five hours and (laughs) we are coming to the end of our time and I really want to honor your time and the energy here and I'm just wondering if there's anything that you feel like has really not been said about your work that's really important to say in this inquiry no there's nothing that I want to emphasize or highlight about what's been said or not been said. But I will share that even through this <laughs> this this conversation, um, I've become a little bit more comfortable and aware of just how emergent and iterative all of this is for my life um, and how it shows up for me and how I choose to engage with, with people in the world. Um, and I guess I would just, well, I guess maybe I do have something to say and it's just that like, it's just evolving. It's constantly evolving for me. And I'm just learning to be comfortable with the lack of clarity throughout that process or the ambiguity that and uncertainty that that, that comes with um, for my own, my own personal journey.